Joe Bates. Brandon Gore, John Schuler. <laughs> been like three weeks since I've seen you guys, maybe more. Man, that was so fun in Tennessee. I'm sure you've covered it on another podcast, but I had a great time. It was, that was great. What do you mean you're sure we covered it? Of course, you don't listen to every podcast the second they come out. Oh, oh man. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, come I haven't on, yet. <laughs> you should just be waiting for it to drop. You should be at the house. Your wife's like, honey, our kid's having, uh, he's like an anaphylactic shock when you take him to the hospital. Honey, I'm waiting for the podcast. Uh, yeah. Not right now. A minute. Not a good time. You got to take him by yeah. yourself. I'm waiting. I got to hear the podcast. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, I'm sorry. What did I miss? Fill me in. Uh, you missed everything. <laughs> you missed everything. We talked about everything there has to do with concrete. Literally right. everything. Yeah. We solved everything. Tennessee, everything that 100%. happened. 100. Yeah. All the all good the, concrete, the bad gossip. concrete, all of it. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Is there gossip? I don't think there's gossip. But there's nothing else left. To, there's always gossip. That's the best part. <laughs> <laughs> gossip is the worst part, man. No, it's not. We, we, it depends we, on what end of the gossip you're on. Even that? that. Even that. I try to, you know. Back in the um, concrete countertop forum days, that was just like a little old lady knitting circle of gossip. But uh, <laughs> I try to I try to stay out of that stuff these days. Oh, God, that was fun. I miss the forum so much. Dude, I hate Facebook. My favorite, my favorite one was uh, Brogert. Brogert. That was my favorite. I think we talked about it already. I feel like oh, we talked about oh it, but God, the dude that was years. the oh, guy that man. was eating yogurt and letting his dog lick it out of his mouth. <laughs> and he was like talking all this trash to me about, I don't know anything about concrete. And I'm like, dude, don't, don't do this, man. Don't do it. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. The guy who like poured quickcrete 5,000 one time in his life. And he's an expert. And uh, I was like, don't do it, dude. Don't do it. Don't make me post this video. He's like, post it. I don't care. I was like, all right, Brogert, I'll post it. And I posted it. Never heard from that guy again. We got to find him. Uh, I can't we remember his find name. Brogert. Yeah, but you know what's wild about that, you guys? He probably has like 8 million followers and makes, you know, 100 grand a year. 100 grand a YouTube month if he has 8 million followers. Doxes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's definitely, you know, like Germans. I think they get into that. Maybe some uh, Pacific yeah. Island nations. They kind of like that kind of thing. I don't know, but I, I think so. Well, who knows? I mean, I'm just saying, if you looked at YouTube, I was surprised. Um, so we have a whole different subject now. We're talking concrete. I have a cat, <laughs> right? Oh, a ragdoll cat. Let's not go down the YouTube <laughs> yeah, rabbit hole. So, <clears throat> the thing my daughter would always, there's a, there's a cat called Uni, I guess. Anyway, someone's got their YouTube channel with their ragdoll cat. And my, our ragdoll cat doesn't act anything like this cat. And if you looked at it, so my daughter would bring it out sometimes like, oh, this is the way she should be acting. But you look at this person's videos and yeah, they have an insane amount of followers and have turned it into an income base. I mean, there's a bunch of that kind of stuff. So it's very possible that Brogert was doing something similar. I don't know. Possibly. Yeah. Like I said. Or he's just strange. There's definitely... Um... There's definitely demand for videos of guys eating yogurt and then opening their mouth and letting their dog lick it out of their mouth. There's there's <laughs> definitely communities that get into that. I'm not one of those people, but, no. you know, who am I to judge? Yeah, right? Who are we to judge? But I am a professional judge. I think some people forgot, but I am a professional judge. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons <laughs> some people... <laughs> Whenever I say who am I to judge, I'm like, well, actually, uh, I'm qualified. I don't know. Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just leave it at that. That's yeah. why you have so many, so many people that adore you. Yeah, yeah, my fan club. Yep, exactly. So, Joe Bates, what's new with you, buddy? Oh, man, you know, uh, coming down off of a couple of jobs that have just dragged out for like two and a half years, I got them finished up, put on a truck, sent down to Los Angeles, got it all installed. I'm so happy to be done. They turned out great. But man, when stuff goes that long, it's just hard to keep the mojo up and get it all done and stay excited about the project. But we've been cleaning up the shop and just uh, showing up each day and going, this is all we have to do. Man, this is easy. No problem. Let's go. So it's been really, really nice. Yeah. How do you eat an elephant? What's that? How do you eat an elephant? 
I don't know how to eat it now, but brain Piece door. at a time. One bite at a time. One bite at a time. It's very true. And that's what I say. <laughs> when we have huge projects, and like you, I, I never look forward to them because I know it's going to be a grind. But I just say, one bite at a time. That's all we're going to do. Today, this is what we're going to do. We don't worry about the next two months. We worry about today, and then tomorrow, we worry about tomorrow. And uh, that's all you can do. Yeah, we were definitely in that zone for quite a while, and it was brutal. Yeah. So happy to be out on the other side. It turned out great. No small thanks to Kodiak Pro Maker Mix and the best plasticizer. And uh, yeah, having that on our side was really nice. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I know John talked a little bit about it, but maybe we'll bring it up on this forum real quick, this podcast, is are you open to doing a class at your place in the spring? I am. John and I talked about it yesterday. We've talked about it so many times over the years. And, uh, you know, we've always, oh, let's just put a date on the calendar. I'm like, hey, dude, you tell me. We'll make it work. Yeah. Like, uh, let's just pick one, put it on there, and it's easier for us to just work around it. And I would be so excited to host it. We were the shops for the first time really clear and just set up nice. And we're rearranging things a little bit. And we've just, yeah, I would be so excited to host it there. I think it'd be super fun. And, awesome. Uh, bring bring some concrete back to the West Coast, man. Dude. And yeah. I think it'd be fun for a few reasons. A, a change in venue. You know, we've been in the South for quite a while. So West Coast would be, be fun. But um, you spray. You spray a lot. And you're one of the guys that's really dialed in with spraying Kodiak Pro. I think you spray more of it than anybody else. So having a class where we go over that, because I, I don't spray concrete anymore. I've talked about that in the past, but you know, different, different strokes, different folks. If it works for you, keep doing it. And I think it'd be a good class to show people that method. So yeah, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'd be happy to. I mean, yeah, it's so crazy because for years and years and years, I just was so adamantly against it, but you know, um, (laughs) A couple of these jobs just demanded it, you know, big, doing big 12 foot long by three foot high, you know, cladding for a house and doing it board formed. Really, the only way to get the look we needed to do is to spray it. So we just had to bite the bullet and get good at doing it. And yeah. This last job we did in a where we did all the cabinet faces and countertops and everything also just really demanded that we spray a lot of those pieces because they were just so three dimensional and even for us building that kind of you know backer structure for the molds was going to be a lot of work it was just a lot easier to figure out how to get really good at spraying it no it has a place for sure and i when i say i'm i don't do it anymore i don't do it because of the kind of work that i'm doing i'm not doing that scale so if i'm doing a sink or a countertop for me sec is so much easier and so much more predictable on the end result but yeah, that kind of stuff that you're doing, that that scale, it makes a lot of sense to go that route. And if I was going to do a project like that, I'd really consider buying equipment. You know, you have a pump set up for that. I'd, I'd consider that and uh, would really look at it because it makes a lot of sense for that. But for the small scale stuff that I do, furniture, sinks, countertops, for me, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, you know, it's crazy. It, it wasn't until, I mean, <laughs> even... Uh, a couple of months ago when we really had to dig in and really figure out the spring on a production level to do it just in a super consistent way. You know, we've been doing it for years, but with different mixes. And this is the first time, you know, when we got Kodiak dialed in and we really figured out, you know, one of its biggest advantages is how quick it is. And um, man, when you when the magic happens and your mix is just right and you're able to spray the backer through the rim craft and just build it up and you've got just enough pieces, you just can go. We never stopped. There was one casting we did where it all just worked so perfectly. We, we, we pumped, I think it was 28 bags um, continuously through that rim craft, just building it up almost three eighths of an inch at a time. And it, and it kicked and held on the verticals just perfectly and we rolled it and uh, it was just, it was magic. Like it, it was so nice. And uh, really one of the, one of the things that made that happen was how quick that Kodiak is. And it would have been a lot harder to do smaller scale castings uh, with traditional concrete that, that takes forever to set up. Absolutely. Yeah. That was one of the downsides for me was just the time frame. Even in Arizona, I'd spray face coat, have to wait, you know, and then spray another face coat and then got to wait. And then you do it. What I did back then was a scratch coat, like a thin layer, just to 
to uh, make good contacts with some air pockets, and then we'd do vertical back. But there was so much time in between each step because it took so long to get to the next stage. But yeah, with Kodiak, because we have it set to, to uh, firm up within 30 minutes, 40 minutes, somewhere in that range, it, it kicks way quicker. So you're able to move through the steps a lot more effectively. You know, something else about this class, I know you and John talked about, was maybe demonstrating repairs because that's something that we always get questions about, but we never actually right. show. So maybe taking some pieces, intentionally Well, it's ICT, it. man. You never have to repair. No, I, I, ITC. Ever. Nothing <laughs> ever goes wrong. <laughs> but showing those things, showing a pulses, yeah. showing the, you know, using a, a plumber's torch, showing these different things. How John was talking about, like, how to feather in, sealer, and things like people, you, you talk about it, you say, well, this is what you do, but like, what does that mean? I don't know. Right. So it'd be uh, cool been, to show it in a class. Yeah. It's been huge with me. You know, I, I just uh, over the years have, you know, every once in a while I get called back. We we make a business out of going back and, and after three or four years going into somebody's kitchen that we did and and and, you know, redoing it and just sprucing up the sealer. And um, and one of the biggest problems I've always had is, uh, you know, how to get that sealer to blend and uh you know, sometimes you really struggle with it. Sometimes it's pretty easy, but uh, I really think that there's huge value in a class that where we take a slab and uh, get some common problems worked into it and then just show how we go about actually doing those repairs. Right. Yeah, I agree. Now, I, I mean, the irony is, so you and I talked about this yesterday a little bit and literally today, <clears throat> although it wasn't an ICT issue, it doesn't matter. Well, excuse me. It would have been, yeah, I got it this morning, but a guy from Australia hit me up on the same thing, that he was going back on some job. And, hey, I, I'm surprised how many people haven't heard of, yeah, how, how to either, A, make your own poultice or what a poultice even is, how to use a plumber's torch, when do you use it, what stains and why. So, yeah, I think any of that would be pretty cool. Agreed. I think so. I can. I was talking to Joe about it. I Joe know. Bates. <laughs> Joe must be checking Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever it is he's looking at. What? Huh? What? Huh? Yeah. I, I might TikTok well, but video. You know what? On a whole different note of that. So the last last podcast we talked a lot about fibers, um, even the difference in AR, the bundles, the Nippons versus Owens Corning, and et cetera, et cetera. Now that we're just talking about this and repair. We didn't really go over prep and, you know, the various methods of prep for concrete countertops that have led people down, you know, I'm going to say unfortunate paths, regardless of sealer. Well, before you go down that road, did you see the photo? It was posted on the ICT Reactive site. Uh, Steve, I'm, I'm terrible at his last name. Pro, Prokopowicz? Pro, I don't know how you say his last name. How do you say it, Sean? Do you know? No. Well, Steve posted a photo because we talked about it and, and on the last podcast about fibers, NEG versus Owens Corning. And he posted a photo. He got in the NEGs and he posted a photo next to Owens Corning. And he said, very different. The left side's NEG, the right side's Owens Corning. It's pretty wild. And uh, that's on the ICT Reactive um, Facebook group. But it's oh, good. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I just yeah. looked it up. Yeah. And visually, you can see how drastically different they are. They're both AR fiber. They're both the same bundle. They're both the same length. Uh, mm -hmm. On paper, they're exactly the same, but in reality, they're completely different. I should have listened to that podcast. <laughs> yeah, you should listen to every podcast, Joe. Every podcast, not just that one. That's really interesting. I, you know, I've been wondering that for years because we switched over to the Owens Corning. They're much more readily available, but they are really sharp and yeah. very stiff. And I, I know we've used the NEG in the past, and I remember them being much you know, much softer and not not as prickly as the Owens Corning ones. So I'd love to get some of those in and 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 look at that again. The problem with the NEGs, and we talked about this before, a couple things. One is people are having consolidation issues. If they're doing an SEC mix with the NEGs, they don't want to let the mix consolidate near as well as the Owens Corning, those stiffer fibers. The, the Owens Corning right really consolidate well. The air is able to work its way out where the NEGs traps air, keeps it from consolidating. Uh, but the other thing is ghosting. Ugh. The NEGs ghost a lot more than Owens Cornings do. You see right. the, the like the shadows on the surface when you do an SEC with the Owens with, with the NEG versus Owens Owens Corning. 
Interesting. Man, so that whole shadowing thing, I has anybody ever really gotten to the bottom of what happens when when you know your your fiberglass rebar shadows? One nice thing about GFRC, it eliminates that because your face coat goes in and consolidates and hardens to the point where you don't get that weird transfer. Wet casting, it's a nightmare still. We just and you know, it comes and it goes. I've heard from people that uh that know more about it than I do because I don't I don't put fiberglass rebar really much in my pieces. Occasionally I do. And the mistake I've made is I've put them in after I've cast. So I'll cast SEC, pour whatever inch and a half solid. Then I'll take pencil rod and I'll just wiggle it in the back. Right. And I always get a ghost. When I flip it over, I see a shadow of where it, and it's, it's, you know, at least an inch above the surface, but it's still a ghost. And I was talking to a guy and he's like, Oh no, you got to suspend it. And I, I've done that in the past too. He's like, you suspend it and you pour, you don't get a ghost. But if you wiggle it in, you'll always get a ghost. I believe that. It creates some sort of weird suction that goes all the way down to the face of a wet cast. Yeah. And and shadows. It's, uh, it's so, so frustrating. But as far as the fibers go, I get occasional ghosting. I think it's more color specific than anything. I think some colors do it more than others. But that being said, I've never once had a client ever say anything about it. You know, once when you flip it over, it's the most dramatic because it's still got moisture in the slab. But as yeah. it dries out, as it continues to cure, then you process it and then you seal it. It minimizes it quite a bit from when you first flip it. But when I when I ship a piece to a client, I've never once and I'll see it. I'll see like the slight shadows. I'm like, ah. the surface is perfect, but there's some slight, you know, shadowing of color. I've never had a client say anything. They're always like, oh, my God, it's beautiful. We love it. So it's one of those things that if a client ever did bring it up, I just say, you know, yeah, we use fiber. We, we use a uh, fiber to reinforce it. It shadows as part of it. It's an artifact of the process. It's just part of the material. It's a material characteristic. That's how I'd explain it, but I've never had to explain it to a customer. Yeah, I think it's one of those things with that fiber shadowing that a lot of us, we notice it drives us bananas, but nobody ever really calls it Well, that's it what I was going to say. At the end of the day, and it, we've all talked about this many times, since it's us and we have this connection with the material, we're the ones most often, 99% of the time it bothers us, and nobody else. Yeah. Because we know what it is. We know and like, ah, oh, how do I fix that? Which is actually a good thing. Uh, Brandon shared a TikTok video just a minute ago. <clears throat> and where I was going with this is us who do it realize as much as we think we know, we still have a lot to learn. You know what I mean? And, you know, that's a modesty with this material is understanding that. So we see that is something, how do we do better? What can we do? What can we change? Well, how do we load it differently? How can we be, be better at what we're doing? And that's actually a good thing from my point of view. But on the flip side, yeah, artifact of the process. It is what it is. Well, what John's talking about, I sent him a TikTok video where a guy's explaining the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know what that is, Joe? No, he didn't well, send the TikTok video to me either. I know. I know you're on TikTok all day, so I'll send it to you. <laughs> but I just went to Wikipedia just so I can give you the definition that uh, is is probably the best. The Dunning-Kruger effect, and it could be Kruger, I think it's Kruger though. The Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias where people with low ability, expertise, or experience regarding a certain type of task or area of knowledge tend to overestimate their ability or knowledge. And I sent that to, to John because we see that a lot on these groups on Facebook where people with very little experience will overestimate their their actual knowledge level. And they're telling people how to do stuff. Oh, the way I do it is this, and it's always worked great. And, you know, there's no, re you don't need to use that UHPC. I just use QuickCrete and throw some chicken wire in there, and it's going to be just as good. No, it's not. It's not even close. But you don't know what you don't know. And so, anyways, I sent that to John because there's just a lot of that. And there's people that, the other thing about the, Dun the Dunning-Kruger effect is people will get to a certain level and not want to go beyond that level because it challenges their expertise. So they'll, they'll get to a certain thing. Maybe it's just spraying. You know, I, I taught the very first class in 2005 on how to do GFRC spraying it. Class number one, I taught it. And there's a lot of people today. I wrote the article that was in Concrete Decor on how to spray GFRC. It was the number one issue. It's actually a two-part two part issue. But the number one issue they ever had, if you talk to, to Ben Mickelson, he'll tell you, or Bent Mickelson, he'll tell you that, uh, that that's the number one issue they've ever had. But a lot of people do that without knowing why they do it. But let's say that's all you learned. You don't have any other, any other methods that you know. So you do that. You become defensive of that method because you've never gone beyond that. But if you, go, if, if you were to go beyond that, it would challenge 
your belief system. And so you stay stuck in that spot. And we see that. We see that. I see it with some other training out there where they don't do this for a living. They learned one method. They don't really know why they learned that method. Probably the article that I wrote. Uh, But they learned this one method and they stay there and they never go beyond it because it would challenge their expertise. They don't want to be challenged. And what I'm saying to John is, you know, him and I and you, we all do this for a living. This is what we do. This is how we make a living. But we'll go wherever the path leads, whatever that means. There, there's nothing, there's no sacred cows with us. Everything is open for debate and everything is open for dissecting. Do we need a liquid polymer? Do we need this? Do we need that? Do we need a liquid defomer in the mix? You know, do we need any of these things? And sorry for this tree cutter outside my window right now that's grinding up trees. But, but that's the other part of that Dunning-Kruger effect is uh, people just getting very stuck in their ways and then not expanding because it would challenge their, their expertise. I didn't yeah. know it had an official name, but uh, yeah, yeah. And then the I other part of it yeah, that I like, uh, the other, and I'm interrupting, I apologize. The other part of it that I like is I like the part of the effect that shows you can certainly tell a difference that those, let's say, those people that are experts who have learned to be experts in the field have come to realize how little they really know. So they're always, and I guess that's what I was trying to explain is, we're talking about fibers and ghosting. And when you've done this long enough, you still realize how much you have to learn. You know what I mean? And, and that, that to me is, you know, I, I, I don't know where I'm going. The lack of pride, the lack of standing on a soap pe- a pedestal saying, ah, I know it all and I don't have to learn anymore. Or saying, I don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot of power yeah, in saying, saying, I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. yeah. We don't have all the answers and we never will have all the answers. We're, we learn a little bit more every day that we didn't know yesterday. We learned a little bit, but there's a lot of power. When we teach classes, and when we teach classes at your place, Joe, I get asked questions all the time. Joe does, or John does. I'm sure you will as well. Somebody asks you a question, and the honest answer is, I don't know. I honestly yeah. don't know, but I know people that probably do know. Let's uh, let's call John. Let's call Michael Carmody. Let's call, let's, you know, there's people that are skilled in other areas that I'm not that know the answers. I don't know a lot of things, but there's power in acknowledging that you don't know. I think, again, looking at other training, at least from what we've heard from people that have been to some other training out there, is their experience was the the person leading the training wanted everybody to believe they had all the answers. They knew everything about everything. And uh, they didn't. And the people that came to our class, I'm like, oh, that's, that's not what I was told. And it's like, huh, you know, you're given a lot of bad information. Um, but it was by somebody that was very certain they knew everything. And I think I think anybody's done this for long enough and actually does it day to day knows that there's a lot that you don't know. I feel like I get humbled every day. <laughs> every day I go into the <laughs> shop, right? And you see like, oh yeah, yeah. This would be like, what? Okay. Yep. Nope. Nope. Shick and shammy. Move around. Yep. All right. I just learned something new. Keep going. Yeah. Well, you know what keeps you on your toes too, really? The, the coolest part about being a distributor for this and doing a little bit of the tech support because I feel a lot of calls is just... You know, that's when I really get humbled and and realize how little I know is when I just get this plethora of other problems that never, you know, may have never come up in my shop or anything. And that's when I really, you know, I'm just like, man, okay, well, that's a great question. I didn't think of it that way. That's when you really accelerate. I mean, it's just amazing. Talking to other people, it's the same thing. You know, when I go to Tennessee and we all got together and talked and were able to, you know, not do it through text or email or even a phone call. It's just amazing how much further everything can go when you can sit and talk face to face. Agreed. 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 There is a flip side to that though. You know, when you go to a class and uh, you learn a method and you go back and you repeat it and it works for you. I always have some envy for these guys that don't think too much about it. They found something that works and then they fly with it, spend their time marketing and selling it. Even if it is a subpar project, you know, product in the realm of other things in that field, it, you know, <laughs> I always have a little bit of weird envy for the people that that don't get caught, that don't keep down that, you know, knowledge rabbit hole and keep changing based on what's new. Yeah. It might be un, unfounded, but I always have a little bit of a little bit of envy. Like, why can't I just let this go for a little while and and go with it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's working. Yeah. Don't screw with it. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean there is some of that. I think uh, again, not not to tout our training over other training. I do feel like we have the best, but um, 
but one of the things that we really focus on is there's we teach a lot of different methods so people can learn a lot of different you know tools for the toolbox and then choose one so people come into class and and they'll learn uh, upright casting they'll learn how to do sec gfrc like me they'll learn dusty crude if they come to the one in california they'll learn how to spray and uh, so they can find what resonates with them but yeah they also get to jump you know 5 10 15 years ahead of where they would be had they not taken that class and had they tried to figure it out themselves which you know ultimately is what we did and there's value in doing that you know you learn by doing and you learn through failure and you know something doesn't go right and you're like why didn't this go right and so now you have that wealth of knowledge building up over time of like you know i went down this path i'm not going to do that again because this happened and i went down that path i'm not going to do that again because that happened where you come to a class and you're like here's how you do it great but you don't have that backup of all the things that didn't work that got you to this point. And uh, there is value in that, but there's also hundreds of thousands of dollars in lost revenue. There's hundreds and yeah. thousands of hours of lost time. Bone piles. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's mm -hmm. the downside. So there, it's a trade-off. You pay to, it's like, you know, you're, you're getting in that Disney Express Pass line where you get to go all the way to the front of the line and ride the amazing ride and not have to go through all the pain to get there. Yeah. Is it as good if you haven't waited four hours? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you get to ride more than one ride, you know, instead of just doing the one ride, you get to ride three rides. So I've yeah. never been to Disneyland. Yeah. Me neither. I heard that the average family of four now for one day is $2,000 without food or parking. Oh, I believe it. $2,000 for a family of four for one day. It's insane. And then you add the express. I mean, I'm sure if you add in Parking, food, and the express stuff is probably three, four thousand bucks for a family four for one day. I've never been either. I don't, I don't know where you read that. I, mean, I read it at CNN uh, like a week ago. <clears throat> yeah, then I would like to see what they're putting in because my family, we love Disneyland. Uh, now we haven't gone through the whole COVID thing. I was going to say, we do they, went up, they, they raised their price dramatically. That was the article. They, they jacked the prices up dramatically. Yeah, so they must be talking about if you stayed at the hotel or something. I don't know. But I mean, the, the tickets were. I mean, they're still at 80, 80 bucks. I'm not saying that's cheap. And so, well, but I would, I will say this only because we're on Disneyland. Yeah. I I've learned it. You just got to let that go. <laughs> like, you know, if you're going to go have fun and, and make an event out of these kind of things, then, you know, you just got to let all that go and just don't, don't sweat. Cause where was I someplace it, we spent like not at Disneyland, you know, five bucks for a bottle of water, like when you're at the airport and you can't get pissed about it. It is what it is. Where were we going before we started on this Dunning Kruger effect thing? What were we talking about? <laughs> we're talking about prep. We're talking about prep. prep. Oh, I prep. I get prep. a lot of questions. I get a lot of questions on surface prep um, and how it relates to wear and durability. I mean, I would say at least two, three times a week, I'll get a picture from somebody, regardless of what sealer, right? They'll be like, hey, you know, John, you know, such and such got all scratched up or, you know, staining, blah, blah. And my first question to all of them is, well, great. What was your surface prep? Oh, you know, we polished to a 1500 and then we put, you know, X32 blah, 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 or Omega blah, blah, blah. And, and I think they where I'm going with this is oftentimes I think what they want to hear out of me, like, Oh, well that's, you know, of course that's crap, which we all know where I stand on putting topicals on. I'm not a fan, but that being said, the prep in of itself, super smooth finishes in my, not let's say in my experience, not my opinion, do not bode well for the longevity of a countertop surface. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah, I'm letting you two talk about this. I'm just sitting over here listening. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I agree. But, you know, we still struggle with this in our shop, too, especially with like a real sort of creamy kind of finish. And we're just coming right. off of a bunch of GFRC pieces. And, you know, you really can't get that nice, toothy, gritty surface, uh, you know, and maintain the cream. You're going to see aggregate if you go that deep. Right. And and doing that evenly and subtly is something we've always struggled with. I don't really do super heavy acid washes. I'm always blown away when I go into somebody else's shop and watch them. Ah, what do you mean? This is one to one or, you know, one to ten. And they put it on there and it's just popping and sizzling. And they're just down to like a, you know, feels like a sidewalk. But 
And flip side is it's not a bad thing because when they seal that, it's true. It's incredibly durable because you're just creating this insane surface for specifically ICT to get in there and just there's so much more for it to grab onto. Yeah, yeah. there's no grab question onto, about that. penetrate. Yeah, agree. But it's also not necessarily the look that I need to achieve. So we we're very you know conservative in our approach to acid washes and and we. You know, we'll dilute it. Uh, I think it's uh, about 100 milliliters to a gallon. You know, barely any acid, and we'll we'll just keep do we'll do four or five acid washes to just try and very subtly burn it down, get a better profile that's not you know not a smooth 200 grit wet polish, and 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 try to compromise somewhere in between. And it's worked pretty well for us, but uh, there's no question that those surfaces don't have the same durability as when I present a client with a finished sample that that really we've really burned into. Yeah, I agree. But, and I guess where I'm going with that is I, I find it surprising sometimes uh, with a new, with a newbie, I understand because I look back on my own years of experience and I have to admit, you know, the, the, some of the first pieces I did, Right. We all polished to like 3000 or something like, oh, you, you know, we, I know Brandon and I have talked about that. You step back like, oh, my God, I didn't know you could do this with concrete. But then you found out they weren't very durable. They didn't last very long. And I'm still seeing that out with some of the calls and pictures I'll get from people that, you know, they do incredibly smooth finishes. They'll, you know, whether they took them in the wet booth and and polished them or not. And then and then ultimately want to blame the sealer i'm going to say specifically for lack of wear performance and right and i guess the one thing i want to talk about is that that this is something we've all come to understand if these are if concrete countertops and sealers are a choice then some amount of profile is a necessity not like the old days with you know like futung cheng right cast directly on plexiglass you flip it out and you seal it and it's a mirror finish but it doesn't last two weeks kind of stuff <clears throat> and uh, you know we've talked about this quite a bit brandon well i'm go <laughs> strictly going by joe joe you're about 10 to 1 then somewhere i'm gonna say 10 or 12 to 1 based on the your um 10 ounces or your milliliters to ounces brandon's about six and yeah i, I do most of all my stuff's yeah, I'm going to say two or three to one, which to me is pretty light. I, I don't do really hat, you know, when we refer to as cat tongue, but I'm, I'm going to say I, I get mine to probably about a 200 grit would be my guess on feel. I think it's a little more aggressive than that. I think it's more like a hundred grit or, or 120. I'm doing probably between 220 and 400 grit sandpaper surface, depending on mm -hmm. how, how long I let it etch. I do five to one, six to one, somewhere around there acid and I do it with a pump up sprayer on wet concrete. So that's diluting it even a little bit more because I started on wet concrete. Yeah, I'm getting it to right about there. But when I was at uh, Dusty shop, you guys were doing more aggressive acid. And I would say it's closer to maybe 120 grit, which is still a really fine yeah, surface. Right. Yeah, still really yeah. fine. I mean, I remember way back in the day uh, at Blue Concrete, they would do 100% acid and I was on a much right. softer concrete. You know, uh, Maker Mix is much denser and much more acid resistant as a mix. But um, on that softer concrete, they're doing 100% acid, and it would be like a 40-grit surface or even more aggressive than that. I mean, it was like exposing big chunks of sand standing up out of the surface. Right. So that was their thing. Well, there's yeah. that. I don't know where Joe is going to go because he's like quiet over there. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean, as we're talking about this, the other thing I think a lot of people don't realize or they just don't think about is this. When they take their processing into the wet booth and they're diamond polishing with their resin pads they don't realize that the surface of that concrete in other words the pad wears out and the surface of that concrete does get impregnated with some of the resin from that pad much like we all drive cars we all have tires that wear out and after the whatever hundred some odd years of vehicles driving the roads we don't see piles of rubber on the side of the road, but yet, you know, millions, if not billions of tires have worn out on these things. So, you know, 
rubber and gets impregnated. If that's not removed, even with a mild acid wash, it's going to compromise sealer performance, period. That's the way I look at it. And you see it when you're water polishing, you'll see if you're using those, you know, we all do, those resin pads, the color coming off them. Usually it's like a red kind of terracotta color, but you'll see it. You'll see the kind of the red water going off the edge of the concrete. Uh, So yeah, that's definitely getting into the pores of the concrete for sure. Yeah, we would never stop wet polishing and go straight to finish. Always, you know, always, always go to acid, which just cleans up all those minor swirl marks and just, yep. you know, gets it looking much better right off the bat. I mean, looking at the whole picture, too, you know, I really try to look at my pieces as very functional, you know, things. And and I cook a lot here in my house and um, I expect my clients do too. And I want to make sure that, you know, if it's too rough, you also really can't clean it. You take and run a microfiber cloth about around over the thing after it's sealed and it's dragging. That's a big problem to me. I don't want to give that to my clients. It needs to also be a very functional and cleanable surface. So I would say we're still searching for the perfect balance of acid and and etch and you know the whole thing i'm i'm still not 100 percent satisfied with our process but we've we've always come to you know we get a product out and i'm always pretty happy with it but i always feel like it could do a little bit better what um and i just thought about this we're all we're talking about acid dilutions specifically muriatic what are you using as your scrubber we, uh, scotch brights. Yeah, I'll use a gray scotch bright, the sort of pretty fine one, the 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 light or darkish gray. Yeah, see, I think I found that I get the much better consistency and evenness when using those brown. I think they're the seven four four sevens, if I remember right. The really the really rough ones. Yeah. So I'm th- and and then I'm gonna put a side note to that. When I hand scrub, I definitely get one finish. And then if I put it mechanical, even on a slow uh, rotary buffer, you know, I even get an uh, even more even to my total finish and a much more evenness. And it's almost like it's it's grabbing cream and softening the surface all at the same time. So as we're talking about this, I was just thinking, maybe try that with your light acid scrub is move to keep your light acid but just move to a more aggressive Scotch Bright pad, either by hand or mechanical. Low speed it would, mechanical. It would have to be low speed mechanical because we we don't really use those too much unless we're doing a much heavier acid burn, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because it does scratch the surface. So if you're not doing a perfect round pattern as you're doing it, it can you know I see those swirl marks and they're kind of hard to get out. That's an aggressive pad. Hmm. See, I use the green, which you can get at Home Depot, Lowe's in the paint section. And um, you can also go to paint supply stores and they have them already pre-cut circular to go on a six inch or five inch. And those are cool, but they're more expensive. But yeah, you know, you're saying that I always do it by hand. I always do my acid etch uh, with a pump up sprayer. I don't scrub it at that point. I just keep the acid wet. I don't let it dry. Then I rinse it off really good. Then I scrub it with a brand new green scotch bright. I always use a new one so there's no sand or anything in the surface. It's going to create a scratch. And I scrub it really, really, really good. Rinse it. I scrub it again because inevitably no matter how well I scrub it, I'm going to miss one little spot that I'll see the next day when it's dry. So I scrub it again and I rinse it again. Then I squeegee it off, dry it off. And then typically the next day it looks really good. But I noticed Dusty, when Dusty does classes, he uses a pneumatic sander, an air sander that uh, he puts a Scotch-Brite on and he's using water and he's over the whole surface because it really quickly removes all the excess after you acid etch. But he does it on that. And I'm always, I, I never thought about it. Why or anything? That's just his process. But that's a really good idea. He just takes a, a whole Scotch Bright, a square one, sticks it on mm-hmm. to, the, to the hook and loop on his pneumatic sander, his air sander, and just goes over the whole thing really quick with water and gets a super even surface. So maybe I'll start doing that because I'm already in an area that has water. You know, we're, we're rinsing it off. It'll only take one minute to do it and it probably yields a much more consistent, even result. Well, that's that's exactly what I was saying because I think, well, not I think. I mean, and you guys can stop me at any moment if if you think I'm wrong or just add to it. The idea with the acid scrubbing that we all call acid scrubbing, acid is definitely part of it. 
And what that's doing is weakening the cream, you know, or whatever, you know, the, the cream, if you will, between the aggregates and everything. And if you don't get good scrubbing, you're not removing the part of the cream that's now basically been damaged by the acid. So scrubbing and getting rid of that residue, if you will, I mean, that's a very important part. So the way I always looked at it is if my scrubbing's not aggressive enough, I just got done putting acid on this surface. It's clearly what the acid is doing. It's, it's weakening the cement. Hence, you know, it, it burns it and pulls it off. And now I need to remove that weak residue to be back to good, hard cream that I'm sealing. Yeah, that's a huge part is uh, going back and I make, you know, we go in and uh, we'll do the acid, we'll scrub it into the piece, we'll, you know, usually see a little cream coming up, then we'll sort of squeegee it and rinse it off and then um, spray it again. And I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but I always like to let it dry out before we do this. We wet it down again, and I'll oftentimes use a green Scotch-Brite and, and scrub it, basically clean it, uh, and really get that really fine, weakened residue off of there. And, um, and you know, so that goes from acid wash then to, uh, well, on acid wash, what do you guys feel about the the heavy-duty vinegars that you can get? I, I never knew about this. I saw it at Dusty's shop, and I went and picked up some at Home Depot when I got back uh, using vinegar in lieu of muriatic acid. Like, you know, no, the 30, 30%. I mean, it's essentially the, the same strength, right? I mean, yeah, but here, so yeah, they, and actually, if you get on Amazon, they, there's a 45% and there's as much as 75% concentration. I like some pros and cons. Let's just talk about the uh, removal. Now, for what you're, the kind of profiles that you're doing, there's no question. I think the vinegar would be, work very well. The, the, I would probably get the 45% instead of the 30. I mean, here's my reason. The muriatic is significantly more aggressive, comparatively speaking. And that's why the concentrated vinegars, I'm guessing when you found it at Home Depot, it's, they probably had it in the, I don't know, the outside nursery area because that's used as a natural weed killer. So, you know, non-harmful to the environment, et cetera, et cetera. But against concrete, it's definitely not as aggressive to create the kind of uh, profiling, at least that I'm doing, even with the 45%. So I've always recommended the muriatic. Now, on the flip side, from a sealing point of view, ICT loves acetic acid. So, you know, so if acetic can be part of your processing and you actually get the kind of aggressive profile, light or, you know, whatever you're looking for out of it, it's actually my number one go-to. Huh. So that, yeah, so it really depends on- So now there's on, gonna be hundreds of people Googling or on Amazon looking for 75% <laughs> acetic acid. Yeah. 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 There's gonna be a run on acetic acid. 45%, I mean, I like the 45%, but, you know, if I put even full strength 45%, now again, we're talking maker's mix. And I put it head to head against the two to one, two parts water, one part 33% muriatic. Then my muriatic gets, a, you know, an easier profile that I'm looking for than the full strength 45%. I mean, the 45% definitely still works, but it's not gonna the take same. longer. So, yeah, you're gonna have to yeah, work it's just gonna take it. longer. Yeah. So, it would work if I, you know, probably scrubbed it two or three times. And it's undeniable, at least for me personally, the smell of vinegar is definitely outweighs that, you know, waft you'll get out of the muriatic sometimes. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. So, I mean, that's interesting. And we've integrated the vinegar wipe down uh, step into our sealing regimen in the last few months with mm -hmm. really great results. Uh, so what is it? I mean, what's the difference between acetic acid and what muriatic has? I mean, isn't it neutralizing the surface? What is the vinegar well, leaving in there, either through the wipe or through the acid wash that that ICT loves so much? Okay, well, well, that's a actually it has to do with the silicate reaction. Um, 
it, which is not going to happen with the hydrochloric. So it's an acetic reaction that happens with the silicates. And then there's a, that whole different chemistry has to do with the bonding between the silicate silanes and micropolymer. <clears throat> so, I mean, I can go into it if you guys really want to. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a little, it's it's a little interesting to me, and it's a pretty important. I mean, this is really, I want to say that the the vinegar wipe down step has really upped our game in terms of really uh, increasing dwell time when we're sealing, which is really nice, even at, at, at elevated temperatures, and yeah. uh, it's just really sped things up very, very nicely and and helped even things out. You have to be careful with it. I mean. Uh, it's uh, one drop in the wrong spot and you will see a slightly lighter blob of concrete there that right. will never, never go away. <laughs> yeah. Especially on darker colors. So, and then That's as we're talking point. about this, are you implementing that in between applications as well or just. Oh, good Lord. With? Another new step. No, we do it. Only, oh yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, well, we do it. Saying, and we know, do it up to the beginning oh, too. I don't, God. I don't do it between codes. What are you talking about? When what? did this happen? Yeah. What yeah, did this happen? No, you can definitely, happen? yeah. I mean, yeah. So ICT loves acetic, and uh, I've been talking to. See, this is where you do need to get back to Facebook, or, or quite frankly, you and I just get, need to get back to talking more often. So, what you can do, and as I refer to it, is apply torch and soak. Apply torch, soak. Apply torch, soak, and that could be done in between every application. Whether we're talking the diluted prime, so you apply your diluted, so Per what you're saying, let's just call it, you soak the slab first, right? That's what you've been doing. Then it's you a, apply, wipe, a wipe down, yes. Yeah. Then you apply vinegar. Right. Uh-huh. Then you apply your first application of prime. Okay, the moment that dries, and this is the important part, you at least need to run a torch. And I just call it chase the vapor. This isn't about warming up the concrete. You don't have to spend a lot of time with it. So you just run the torch along. And what that's going to do is lock that application. Then you can come right back with your, you know, diluted vinegar or 100% water and hit that application right after it dries or right after you torch it, excuse me, and complete and push that activation process even further and then wipe it down. Um, hit your next application, chase it with the torch. I mean, again, just chase the vapor, hit another soak, apply, torch, soak, apply, torch, soak, apply, torch, soak from start to finish. Hmm. Well, I must yeah. try that. Oh, I've, I've never done that. No? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I've told people about this. I'm your business partner. You haven't told me about it. So I what's going know. on? Well, Jesus. And we talk all the time. I talk at least <laughs> 10 times a day with John. At least don't 10 times to... a day, me and John talk. Don't, and I've never heard this before. Get into my secrets. So, <laughs> yeah, right? I do this often to pieces that I know regardless. Now, is it something that has to be done all the time? Again, no. If you have pieces that you know are going into immediate use, then this is that's exactly what I do to them. Number one, I, everybody who knows me long enough, I'm pretty impatient. So I like to be done with my full application process in about 30 minutes. That's what I like to do, especially in cast in place. Uh, you know, I'm not going to be out on a job site that probably doesn't even have power yet, you know, be there for three, four hours to complete a sealing process. Or now that I'm doing reseals and repairs to various projects, the same thing. I mean, my son and I went in to the last project, at least from the ceiling point of view, and we were done in about 45 minutes straight through. And that's how we do it. We first soak the slab, soak the concrete. Um, we all know what that looks like. The moment it dries, I apply the prime. Once the prime dries, I pull out. Now, in this case, I just use the smaller handheld torch, not the big, you know, weed torch. Um, I think it's called a utility torch. Uh, Flameengineering.com is where I pick them up. But anyway, I, I chase the vapor around. That probably takes 30 seconds to a minute. And then I keep a one-gallon bucket of my diluted vinegar, if you will. It's got a microfiber cloth in that. Soaking, I literally just pick that cloth out, slop it down on the countertops, run it around into a soak. Uh, again, maybe 30 seconds or so. Wring the cloth out, wipe it down so I don't have a whole lot of wet residue. 
literally the, the moment that's on the cusp of drying, I'm hitting my next application. Put that application out, let it dry, chase it with a torch, slop the cloth on again, zippity-doo-dah, wring it out, hit the next application, so forth and so on. Mind blown. Oh, yeah. Check it out. I mean, so what's happening here is a combination of things <clears throat> when it comes to ICT. So let's talk about the torch. Well, we talked about the acetic for a moment, but let's talk about the torch. In this case, I just want to be clear with everybody. This is not using the torch necessarily to warm the concrete up. This is chasing the vapor. So there's two, two activation processes that happen with flame. Number one, the heat. Heat's going to drive out some of the micro moisture and create cross-linking. But in the long term, ICT has reactions with CO2. Well, you know, your flame's kicking out CO2. So you're getting a dual force there in sealer-based reactions. And then finally, the CT chemistry that has the emulsion built into it, the silane siloxane emulsions, increase total activation and cross-linking with the, just similar to the acetic, by doing that water soak in between. That's what activates them. You're saying water and you're saying vinegar. I'm, well, because it can be either here. one. So, no, right. so let me explain. <laughs> In dark, this goes. When back John to the says, whole, "When John says, let me explain," he's like, "Let me muddy the water a little bit more here. Let, let me get yeah. yeah, add more. Let me get more <laughs> silt into the water." Okay, so we know I just explained acetic acid. ICT loves acetic acid, but there's a caveat to that. When we're just talking about the muriatic versus acetic, the other part of the acetic that's better than the muriatic is that muriatic has a much higher tendency to leave that, I'm going to call it that white acid residue, right? That we all scrub off. Now it becomes even more apparent on darker colors, not so much on our light grays. So on darker colors, I definitely recommend the acetic. But this being said, if you were doing a dark color, because this actually happened to one of the guys who was doing a really, really dark red, and they called me up and goes, ah, oh, John, I did the vinegar in between. I'm like, oh, you know what? It's not as much of an activation again, you know, but so I, in his case, I had him just use water in between. Now you're still getting the heat. You're still getting the CO2 reaction out of the heat and the, you know, out of the torch and the water is still increasing total activation to the silane siloxane emulsion chemistry. He's just happened, he needed to miss out on the acetic reaction because of the dark color. But once he got his primes on, and now the acetic doesn't have as much contact, or no, none at this point with the darker color, then I, I had him switch over to using vinegar in between. So that's, that's kind of the muddy of the water right there. Dark colors right. versus well, lighter colors. I didn't hear anything you said. My eyes glazed over. I didn't hear anything. It was like trigonometry. <laughs> I was paying rapt attention. We're going to try it this week. I'll report back. Oh, I'll tell you, if you haven't done it, it's it's pretty amazing because you're creating a total activation from start to finish rather than just up front or just at the end. You're doing it all the way through. All right. All right. I, I like it. I dig it. I've already seen mm -hmm. what happens when I do the right prep with the vinegar. So have we covered prep? I think we covered prep. I guess we didn't. Is there? I, oh, God. <laughs> you, <guessed> no, <laughs> I, you said we didn't cover prep. We didn't. Well, I'll, no, I, I, hopefully, uh, for me anyway, a final thing is would be this. <laughs> Anybody listening? The final word. Oh, the final God. word. I got it. Is, you know, concrete countertops with some amounts of profile, highs and lows in the finish, are substantially more durable than without. So people who are not doing it, just be aware to whatever amount fits what you're doing. It it's just something I think we all had to succumb that it's it's a necessity. That's don't fun. take it to the extreme. When we say profile, right. more is not better here. No. No. Uh, well, yes and no. Here's what I would say is I like, I like 220 grit around there, whatever. 
100 grit, 220 grit, somewhere in there, that, that type of profile. I have seen, as I said, way back in the day, uh, the epics, things like that, they would profile 100% on soft concrete and get a very aggressive finish, super aggressive, way more aggressive than I'd ever go. But the benefit to that is you cannot damage that surface. When it's sealed, it is bulletproof. You can slide ceramic across it, glass, diamonds. It doesn't matter what you put on it. You're not going to hurt it. Now, is it functional? It depends on who you're talking to. Because like you're saying, you dra- drag a microfiber cloth across it, it's going to leave little fuzzies all over the surface. You spill yeah, something crabs. on there. Yeah. So for me, it's not as functional as a 100 to 220 grit type of profile. I think it's more functional for cleanliness and things like that. But as far as durability goes, perceived durability, where you cannot damage it, it's incredibly durable. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, is that what you want? Is that aesthetic what you want? For me, no. But for some people, maybe. No question. Like anything else, it's a balance. I guess what I'm trying to get clear with those tech support that I still get, <clears throat> even with other, I mean, I, I, I get calls and messages daily about other sealers as well. And that it oftentimes a huge lack of durability and scratch resistance is just because they had an ultra smooth finish. You know, they took diamonds to it, they smoothed it out and it looked brilliant. And then they end up putting a, whatever amount, you know, a 32nd to a 16th of an ounce of a thickness of a urethane, plastic wrap over the top of this insanely smooth finish and it's never going to be durable yeah Yeah, it's not going to bond to that i mean you know and the same goes to ict to some extent it just doesn't you know you can't you can't get the full benefit and reactivity out of it when you're putting it on a super smooth surface oh and ict is just a nightmare to put on something like that you're gonna streak to all get out and man (laughs) it's no fun agreed all right. Okay. Any last words from both of you? Because we've gone exactly an hour, which is kind of our, our limit here. Anything you guys want to talk about? No, well, I think we covered it. Oh, I know, got one. Just right, reiterating. So putting, oh, God, John, well, I want to talk doing? about something. And look, I'm going to put him right on the, the – this is going to be out there, Joe. When's the website going live? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> the, the Kodiak uh, Pro is, West I website. Am, what is up with that? I, I am surprisingly close to it. I am still trying to work out how the payment things work with the LTL shipping and okay. figuring out the best way to integrate all that. But uh, we've got most of the photography up on the website now, and it's actually looking pretty good. I'm trying to keep it really, really, really basic and simple. Um, but in the meantime, uh, call me. Hit me up on Instagram. Email me, joe at scfabnapa.com for any less than palette orders of Maker's Mix, Rad Mix, Pigment, Fiber, and TBP. Or even got it all. Yeah, or even full palette orders if you're relatively close, because there's guys that it's cheaper for them to buy a full palette from you than to buy it from us and pay for the freight from Illinois. It is. It's super important that I have a few of those customers on the West Coast. Oh, Bergstrom, man, you're awesome. You make help make this uh, really possible to bring out, you know, 13, 14, 15 pallets at a time. Uh, and, and man, every time we do that, every pallet we add into that truck brings the price of shipping down and just makes all this work. So, yeah, uh, yeah any other West Coast customers, we're, we're coming out there. We're going to get more aggressive with the salesmanship. I know there's a few guys out here that could use the Maker's Mix and and they're they're laying low, but I'm gonna come for you. <laughs> awesome, John. What do you got? Oh, well, that's it, guys. Well, Joe, I just looked. I sent you a little uh, Kodiak Pro Christmas gift, and it says it's out for delivery today. So you should see it. It's out for delivery right now. All right, man. I'm pumped. I've been seeing everybody else open their Christmas presents before me, but just because I'm on the West Coast means it takes like two more days to get here. Dude, I I told John like. You know, we have a division of labor, me and John, and, and he does a lot of the tech support stuff. I do a lot of the other things, but I've been putting these together and no joke, just in packing these things up, I've spent three full days just packing. No, nothing else, not like designing, ordering, none of that. Just literally taping boxes, putting stuff in, paper, cards, writing cards, that kind of stuff. Three days of my life. The mail lady, I schedule pickups for the USPS. She hates me. I'm like... 
57 today. 57 flat rate boxes. This lady pulls up. You can just see. She's so nice, but I'm just like, I feel so bad. I feel so bad doing this to her. Well, this it's much appreciated and uh, all the hard work you put into that. And, you know, I try to stoke people out with a sticker or two and a handwritten letter in every order I put in. Having packed a few boxes of Brad Mix myself, I feel your pain, but it's totally worth it. And everybody's, you know, can't help but be stoked about that. Yeah. And for John and I, the reason we do this is we want to thank people. We want to thank people. Yeah. It's, you know, the golden rule. Treat people how you want to be treated. And so for all these years, and you've been through this, Joe, all these years, you support these companies. Usually they're, they're big. You know, the current kind of our, our current competitor, they make like $200 million a year in sales, mainly on, on other products, not concrete. So they're huge. But you support these people all year long, and they never say thank you. They never show any appreciation for your support of them. And uh, so for John and I, when we started this, I told John, it's really important to me at least once a year to just say thanks. Like, we appreciate you. Absolutely. And so that's what this is for us, is um, is me and John just saying thank you, because we, we do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys and gals conscientiously support a small business, you know? I mean, me, you, and John, the three of us, because you're our West Coast distributor, this is what we do. This isn't some big conglomerate. We don't have private jets. We're, you know, we're not driving Teslas and... Uh, all the kind of stuff. We're, we're just hardworking concrete guys that have dialed in a mix over the years and gotten something that's completely what we feel to be the best products out there for this market segment. And then we treat people and we do customer service and customer support in a way that we always wanted it to be done and it never was. And, you know, again, at Christmas, it's, hey, thanks guys and gals. We appreciate you. Yep. Yeah, we do, man. It's, uh, it's awesome to see it all happening and continue to grow. And uh, look forward to another year of it. All right, guys. Well, on that note, let's wrap this up. Good talking to everybody. You guys have a great one. Adios. Later. See ya. Adios.